Thought Leadership from PwC. Today we're back with a special episode of our Talking ESG series, this time focusing on new proposed federal rules focused on greenhouse gas and other climate disclosures. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. There's been a flurry of climate announcements recently as COP27 wrapped up late last week. Among all the activity, which notably included creation of a fund to aid poor countries harmed by the impacts of climate change, you may have missed the November 10th announcement of new proposed rules to require federal contractors with contracts more than $7.5 million to provide Scope 1 and Scope 2 GHG emissions disclosures, and larger contractors, those with more than $50 million in contracts, will also need to disclose Scope 3 emissions, as well as climate-related financial risks, and set science-based emissions reduction targets. There are a few exceptions, but if your company contracts with the federal government, you'll want to pay attention to this proposal. Podcast favorite Val Weeman is back in the guest seat to help me walk through the proposal. It's relatively short compared to the SEC proposal, but still jam-packed with information and requirements. So let's get started. So Val, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Heather. So can you just some background for our listeners in terms of where did this come from? Because I think it probably caught many by surprise. And I feel like every time we talk, I need to start with once upon a time and go back to a, a historical event. But um, for this one, it started with President Biden uh, issuing an executive order back in May of 2021. Um, so that was called Climate Related Financial Risk. And one of the provisions in that executive order um, was a directive for the Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council, or the FAR Council, um, to work with some leaders and heads of other agencies to consider amending what's called the Federal Acquisition Regulation. Now, the council is made up of the Department of Defense, the General Services Administration, um, NASA, um, and it's actually chaired by the Office of Federal Procurement. So the executive order is actually worded as a almost a recommendation that says that the committee should consider whether to amend the uh, federal acquisition regulation. Um, so the proposal on November 10th was really the enactment of that executive order, and it's an integral part of what's called the Federal Sustainability Plan. Um, that was also the effect of a executive order back from December 2021, where they made a commitment to achieve net zero emissions in procurement by 2050. Um, back at that time in December, the Office of Management and Budget suggested that in making these changes to the plan, that they actually consider leveraging the existing standards and systems. So uh, ones we've spoken about before, the uh, Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, CDP, and the Science-Based Target Initiatives, or their equivalents when they consider how to amend the rules. All right. So that was a mouthful of acronyms and organizations and a lot to think about. But I think in terms of what our listeners need to focus on, it's what comes next in terms of what was actually issued. And I guess notably, Val, we're going to talk about requirements, but it does apply to all federal contractors with few exceptions. So the agencies involved 
it's not really pertinent from that point of view. Is that correct? Right. That's that's just who the council is made up of, but it would apply to any federal government contracts. All right. Perfect. So what exactly did they issue? So they issued a proposal called the Federal Supplier Climate Risk and Resilience Rule. Um, and it, as I said, it would amend the federal acquisition regulation pretty much exactly as they were instructed to. So as much as they said to consider the amendments, the amendments stick pretty closely to what uh, was in the executive order. Uh, and as you mentioned, this was announced by uh, President Biden at COP27. All right. So let me go ahead and summarize the requirements. So there are new requirements for all companies with contracts over 7.5 million. Those are known as significant contractors. And then there will be incremental requirements for companies with contracts over 50 million major contractors. And we can get into those details momentarily. However, Although I said all, uh, there is an asterisk to that because there are some key exceptions to the rules. So Val, can you run us through the exceptions? So there are exemptions for specific types of entities. Those include um, higher education institutions, uh, not-for-profit research entities, uh, state or local governments, um, and also a category for entities that have 80% of its revenue from federal management and operating contracts. Those are entities that uh, have agreements with the government to operate or maintain government um, establishments on the government's behalf. Uh, those entities are already subject to sustainability reporting. Uh, in addition, there is an exemption for Alaska Native corporations, uh, community development corporations, and Indian tribe um, and Native Hawaiian organizations. Um, so a select, very specific category of uh, entities that would be exempt from the rules altogether. So then, Val, one thing, as I always say to our listeners, even if you're in one of those exempt categories, you should still pay attention. And it's definitely worth listening to the rest of the podcast because you could be requested this information from someone you're uh, working with or otherwise. That said, I know that there are also some limits on disclosures for certain types of companies defined as a small business. So first of all, what do we mean when we define a company as small? And then second of all, big picture, what does that mean? And then we can actually get into the requirements. So a uh, small business is a defined term. Um, so it's based on what's in the system of acquisition management, the SAM system. So there is a designation um, as well as uh, the definition is based on the North American industry classification system, the NAICS code that I think a lot of companies are familiar with. Now, they're not exempt altogether, but they do have more limited disclosures. Uh, and that makes up for uh, just over half of the contractors who receive more than seven and a half million in federal awards would be subject to these reduced requirements. Okay, great. All right. So I, now let's get to the meat of this, which is why people actually tuned in, which are the requirements. And let's start with those that apply to all companies in scope. So that would be both the significant and major contractors. So Heather, all companies in scope would need to disclose the greenhouse gas scope one and scope two emissions. Um, and scope one and scope two defined specific by the greenhouse gas protocol, corporate accounting and reporting standard. And we've spoken about that one um, before. And the gases would be the same seven gases that are identified in the, in the protocol and then also subject to disclosure under the SEC's proposed rule. Um, currently, contractors actually need to disclose whether they publicly disclose their GHG emissions. Now they'd actually need to report their GHG emissions. 
I think one thing is also important to note is that the proposed rule requires the use of the GHG protocol. And again, as we've discussed, that's different than the SEC climate proposal where they leverage the GHG protocol, but have some significant differences with regard to the scope of the entities that are reported. So as proposed, it would be the GHG protocol definitions uh, and categories, uh, and it would be for a period of 12 months ending no more than 12 months before you report them, which means that you could have almost a full year lag in your emissions between when you're actually reporting them uh, in the system. All right. And we'll get into some other comparisons to the SEC rule later in the podcast, but let's for now stay focused on the requirements and specifically the fact that there are additional requirements for major contractors as defined. And just a reminder, because I do personally think this terminology is a little confusing, significant contractors are those with awards more than seven and a half million major would be more than 50 million. And we'll get into a little bit that definition of what an award is. But in the meantime, the additional requirements for major include relevant scope three disclosures, climate risk disclosures based on TCFD, and to the actual requirements to set science-based targets. So Val, let's run through each of them. But first of all, I did think it was interesting that they were very specific that it's relevant scope three disclosures. Do they ever explain what they mean by that? We're actually not quite sure. Um, So they do use that term consistently. Um, Obviously, there are 15 categories of scope three emissions, and not everyone is going to have emissions in every category. So our best guess is that relevant means that you just disclose or report the ones that you actually have. All right. Well, so hopefully more to come on that because on the surface, that's one of the more straightforward requirements, although it is, as we know, perhaps not the most straightforward to actually prepare those disclosures. So then second of all, Val, we have TCFD aligned risk disclosures. So here we start, we do start to see more echoes of the SEC rule, but what exactly is required in this federal proposal? Because very specific. So they're actually basing it on the CDP climate change questionnaire. Um, I think a lot of companies are familiar with that. And CDP actually maps which questions in the questionnaire align with the TCFD. So companies would be required to provide annual climate disclosures based on the TCFD elements that are identified by the CDP. Uh, And that annual climate disclosure would need to be made... um, would need to include your risk assessment and any of your risks identified related to climate, um, as well as be made publicly available on your website or on the CDP website. All right. So definitely interesting and a a difference from the SEC proposal. And then what's the purpose as far as we know, in terms of why they are asking for these disclosures? So they talk a little bit about this in the proposal, and what they're trying to get at is allowing the government to understand the risks that are faced by major contractors um, and primarily related to disruption in supply chain. Uh, So it includes the likelihood of disruptive climate and weather events and material and energy cost fluctuations and anything that's really going to impact a federal agency's mission and activities. So they're trying to get ahead of it by having their contractors disclose exactly what risks they're uh, 
they're exposed to, and then use that understanding to try to increase the effectiveness of the federal supply chain by allowing them to develop their own plans and response uh, sort of actions and, and safeguard their assets to make sure that you have sort of uninterrupted services from the uh, federal government. Well, given all the supply chain disruptions we've all seen over the past couple of years, you can see some uh, purpose in that. So then let's move to the final broad requirement. And Val, this one probably to me at least was the most surprising. And this was the requirement to actually set science-based targets. So again, unlike the SEC proposal, which just requires you to disclose them if you have them, this would require you to actually have them. And in this, there's echoes of what we've seen in the EU with uh, the CSRD and their requirements to actually set specific targets. What are the requirements? So major contractors, and again, those are the contractors with more than 50 million in awards, either themselves or through their owner or sort of ultimate parent company. uh, And those are uh, terms that they've defined as the highest level owner. Um, would need to develop a science-based target and then have that target validated by the Science-Based Target Initiative, or SBTI. So those targets are uh, intended to reduce GHG emissions in line with the reductions of uh, goals like the Paris Agreement uh, to limit global warming to below two degrees um, above the pre-industrial levels um, and pursue efforts to limit warming actually to one and a half degrees Celsius. Now, those targets have to be validated by the SBTI actually uh, every five years. So if they have not been, if you already have a disclosure and it has not been validated, you would need to uh, get that validated and then to repeat that every five years. All right. And then Val, one of the things I know you pointed out to me when we were first reading the new rule is there is a nuance in terms of how you think about either the 7.5 million or the 50 million. And that is not equal to the amount you receive from the federal government in a given year. So can you highlight that? Because I do think it's a key point. That is a key point. So it's based on what they call contract obligations or contract awards. So it's not actually the revenue or the income that you receive from the government. It would be based on a government grant or contract. Um, so if you had a 10-year contract for $50 million, even if you were only at $5 million, which would be below the scope, you actually count as having a $50 million contract, which would make you a major contractor in the year it was awarded. But not in the subsequent years. Correct. Interesting. All right. And then other point I know our listeners will be interested in is when are they proposing compliance? So the scope emissions for scope one and two um, would be required one year after publication of the final rule. And then there would be an additional year uh, to allow major contractors to include all of the additional incremental disclosures, including that risk assessment and the scope three. Now, there are some provisions that would delay that. Um, So they have a provision that says that senior procurement executives uh, can actually provide a waiver uh, in the event of emergency or national security or other emission essential purposes, um, and that they can also provide a waiver for a period of no more than one year to allow companies to come into compliance. So it's basically a transitional period that they can use that may provide an additional year. And then if I'm a federal contractor or considering becoming one, how do we think this is going to factor into procurement decisions? Is that discussed at all in the proposal? 
They do. So first, if you're not compliant with provisions, you're deemed what's called non-responsible. And there's a provision that says that federal contracts can only be awarded to responsible companies or, or contractors. Now, in addition, if you look at the executive order that we spoke about earlier, it directs the Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council to consider amending the regulations to give preference to bids and proposals from suppliers with a lower greenhouse gas emissions where that's appropriate and feasible. All right. That's helpful. And then Val, I think we highlighted most of these as we went along, but I know one of the things you and I were both looking for when we reviewed the proposal, and I'm sure one of the things that will most interest our public company listeners, at least, is the interaction with the SEC proposal. So to highlight, there's clearly for the major contractors, at least, well, actually for both, there are separate forms that have to be used because they'll have to report in the SAM system. And then as well, following this CDP proposal, there's a difference in organizational boundaries between what's proposed by the SEC and what's proposed here. That's probably one of the biggest differences, at least in my view. There are different reporting timelines. So definitely quite a few differences, but any did, did I get everything or anything else you would highlight? I think that's right. I think the um, differences relative to the GHG protocol are probably the most significant. So I agree with that. Um, and the organizational boundaries and the entities you would need to include in your reporting. Yeah, I, I think personally, that's going to potentially be a challenge for listeners. And I will remind people that we also do have requirements for some companies to report their emissions to the uh, EPA, uh, which is also a different set of rules and for a different purpose. And frequent listeners will know that the EPA itself actually responded to the SEC proposal and highlighted the differences and the fact that their rule had a, a different purpose. But it will be interesting to see uh, you know, how all these rules are going to interrelate and how companies are going to manage compliance, especially if you layer in that for multinationals, they may also be dealing with the EU requirements and the ISSB requirements. So definitely a lot to think about. Now, Val, I think the other point here, though, is that this is a proposal. It's not a final rule. I know we have some observations and we're, we're planning uh, to write in to provide a response. But what is sort of the timeline for that? And then anything in particular that you would share as an early highlight of what we're planning to say? So the easy part of that answer is that comments are due January 13th. So they gave about 60 days from when they issued the proposal was posted in the Federal Register. Um, as far as what we're looking at, um, I think I'd like to dig in a little bit to the scope and the exemptions, um, just to make sure that we have consistency of who is in the, uh, basically, do the exemptions support the intent of the proposal? So uh, who's qualified, who's not qualified, who has to report those emissions? as well as I would want to look at the differences with the SEC proposal that you mentioned. So it can be confusing, as you mentioned, and we're interested to see how this uh, sort of plays out as far as all of the different rules and the requirements. But it would obviously be easier for companies, in my mind, if there was some continuity, a little bit more consistency between the uh, emissions that are reported to different federal agencies. So I do want to look at specifically those differences with the SEC proposal and see what may be a more practical solution. Well, and I think to your point, you know, we emphasized alignment, equivalence in our original SEC letter. And I do think some level of equivalence potentially here would be helpful for companies if they're going to have to report the same information in more than one place. So potentially more to come on that. 
Definitely a lot for companies to think about here. And I think, I guess, another reminder of why it's important to, to keep on top of all these different proposals. Uh, but more to come as we dig deeper into the rule and, and have more perspectives on what's required. But as always, so nice to talk to you. And thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.